Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast today for the first time, a guest I have not done a good enough job tracking down, and I am super excited to have on the show today. Of course, you probably know him best as the 2001 Clemson Tiger Mr. Clutch Award winner. You may also know him as the Carolina Region Coach of the Year in 2021, now head coach of the South Carolina men's tennis team. Welcome to the show, head coach Josh Goffey. Coach, welcome. It is great to have you. Happy belated Thanksgiving. How are you doing today yeah back at you man happy to be here um things are great happy to be here with you it's been a long time i've been wondering when i was going to get the call up to talk to (laughs) gluskin you know so happy we can make this work finally yeah i've learned there's only room for one usc in this town and it's just you know picking my spots and picking my times and right now it's the south carolina time but it is a pleasure to have you i appreciate you tolerating all of our nonsense throughout the course of the year and you know let's get right into it because obviously I reference your time as a Clemson Tiger and I know you are a son of a professional tennis coach and obviously very successful coach as well tennis is in your blood I'm curious what it is about college tennis specifically that you know has attracted you to the game for so long it is a lifelong career essentially in college tennis yeah geez um First of all, I, I I never wanted to be a college coach. To be totally honest, <laughs> I mean it was it was uh, it was kind of just through dumb luck. You know, I, I ended up here as you know kind of fortunate. Um, but you know, it's it, uh, my wife. My wife got into college coaching before I did. Right when we were married, and um, happened to be over at Arizona State and Sheila McInerney. And that's that was kind of my entry point into college tennis. There was on the women's side with Sheila, and just through through blind luck, man, her. Her assistant coach left to be a head coach over at Oregon in October. And then the guy she was going to bring in didn't have a visa happen, you know, didn't go through. And then so I happened to be just the guy pumping balls down the street, um, you know, and and kind of came in, met with her. And and so, you know, and that's how it kind of all started. So I really enjoyed my time there at Arizona State. And um, look, you know, that first that first year, the first two years over at Arizona State, then moving into the Duke and moving to the men's side those really solidified my years of like, wow, like this is unbelievable. So, you know, with Sheila, I got to be under Sheila McInerney, one of the all-time legends. I mean, she's been in it for 36 plus years, I think maybe right now. Um, And just, just 
learning from her and being around her and absorbing kind of anything and any knowledge that she's had from being a professional tennis player uh, to being a great coach of top 15, top 10 teams her entire career, you know, all that, it was great. But that group of girls, you know, to be honest, right then and there, they were sitting outside, they were in the 35s to 40 range. And, you know, and, and once, you know, I got to sit and be a part of that, that first season, Sheila was really, you know, had a good group of girls and they were just hitting their stride. It was, I was really fortunate to just kind of walk into a team that was really starting to make some moves. Um, and I spent a lot of time on court with them and they, you know, they enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. We just had a good time out there playing tennis and, and the more they worked, the more intense they got. And, and that really kind of got the hook in my mouth, man. It was like, wow, these, these kids are like, they're breaking down barriers. It was Arizona State versus UCLA, you know, the elites of UCLA, Stanford, even Cal at that time was really high end, you know, and, and USC. And, and it was just kind of like, we were trying to just take down the big names over and over. And eventually, I think a big memory for me there that kind of really, you know, got me into like, hey, building a program is super fun. Sheila had never beaten Stanford in her 25 years that she had been coaching. And we ended up being able to do that in the second year. So it was a huge, it was a huge moment for me as just a, a guy that was so selfishly aligned in being a player my entire life. Right. And then now getting into the coach and sharing in the joy that they had. And that was just kind of, you know, being a tiny small fragment of that journey was, was super cool for me. And so I was like, man, this is, this is the coolest thing that you can do, I think with your life. So I'm going to see if I can make a living at it. And here we are. Yeah, no, and you bring up a bunch of things there, something I wanted to touch on throughout the course of this interview. You've achieved a lot of wins. You know, I think it's like 180 at this point in your career as a head coach at South Carolina. You obviously had some success at Duke as an assistant as well, following your stint at Arizona State. All the things, you know, the 18 doubles pro titles and, you know, coaching Jub to an NCAA title. Is beating Stanford with Arizona State first time in program history? Is that number one on the coaching list? If you could go back and replay any match, is that at the top? It's uh, it's it's definitely up there. Yeah, you know, it because I was part of the program. It wasn't necessarily my program, right? And and I would say that that has to be in a separate lane. You know, as as my on the come up as a coach and just kind of being learning. You know, I was just I was really privy to have a passenger seat in that in that in that situation, but it wasn't necessarily you know, the buck didn't stop with me there. So, you know, for Sheila, I was just, I couldn't have been happier for her in that moment. But, you know, there are other big moments for sure that where, you know, your own blood, sweat and tears and and you're dialing every knob in the book and years, certain years, those, those dials, you know, like the adjustments you make are worse, you're worse off and so on. So the blood, sweat and tears that goes along with running your own program, you know, I think there's, there's, you know, that's a separate, separate lane. And there's definitely different memories that, that fall into that category for sure. Sure. And when you talk about building your program, you know, you got the job 2010 at South Carolina. So this is what year 12. We're starting here at the helm. And, you know, you look across the board over 500 in all but two seasons. And in particular, that first year, 2011, you guys go six and 18 overall. And you're a guy who's done a lot of winning throughout the course of your career. And to look at where the program is now, you've had players reach NCAA singles finals and back-to-back seasons. And you guys have made the NCAA tournament and won at least one match the last four NCAA tournaments. You guys make the round of 16 last year for the first time, I want to say since like 2005 or maybe nine. There's a number, maybe it's a little further back. Um, But I'll find that number momentarily. 
the point is, obviously, you've seen the growth. You've seen the development. What has been the biggest thing now, 12 years in, that has allowed your team to find this sustainable success over these past five seasons? Oof, man. Yeah, only easy questions here. Yeah, that's. I mean, there's there's so much to that question, Gruskin. I mean, that's just like, you know, I mean, it's, that's 12 years of, of turmoil and, and work that goes into it. But look, you know, the... I'll tell you this, the guys that went six and 18 on that year are just as invested in the success that our guys are having now, uh, you know, as the guys that are currently on the team, you know, and I think, I think that if you're going to put it down to one thing, it's the buy-in of the journey for the entire program. Right. And so, so, you know, we've labeled that early career guys that, that didn't maybe have the success, like, you know, a, a five and seven season in the conference and finishing 38 in the country was a huge year for them. And it was a huge year for the program because we were unranked and, and literally winning one match in conference for the three years prior to taking the job to, you know, and then my first year, and then to get that, you know, Hey, taking down a few more names and then, you know, getting your first top 10 win against Kentucky in 13 or whatever it is like that, those things are so powerful for a program. And those guys deserve every bit of credit. And in explaining that to the current guys and understanding like the lineage of a program and, and just the progression is, I think, part of it. You know, it's like we, we haven't changed our jersey in, in 12 years. It's the same jersey that those guys were on year one and went six and 18. And the point is, is that, you know, you're, you're a steward of this program and, and, under, and, having, and it's, a humble, it's, it's humbling to, to kind of get that because when you're 18, it's, you know, you're getting all the stuff and everything's great, and, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, social media is pumping everything, you know, and so you feel like it's, you're the top of the mountain, but for them to realize that, like, look, don't, don't ever think that those guys that, that broke down the earlier barriers did any less work than you were currently doing. So, you know, right now, that whole era, if you want to call it that, that was moving through the beginning, those guys were like the trailblazers and the second ones were the guys that, that consolidated a top 25 team. You know, the program is now for four or five years, you know, sitting in 25 and, and now it's time to, we just broke into that top 16 era last year. And, and, you know, that is, it's, that's a very fickle thing. You got to be able to make a move this year to get into that next tier of 15 or 10 and to be able to start saying, Hey, this is who we are as a program. We're, we're not going anywhere, you know, and that's something that this, this group is now uh, charged with and they're charged with it, not by me, they're charged with it by the guys that were here before. And so we just had a great alumni weekend and those guys were able to talk with our current guys about it. And, and look, it's, it's a big family. And I think that's a big, big part of the journey. Yeah. And, you know, again, talking about the recent group of guys you guys had here in 2021, it was first round of 16 since 2005. So, you know, right. was pr- not bad, pretty close juggling all yeah. these numbers. I, I had the 1985 and the 2009. I got, you know, the digits were right. I just had to find the code there. Um, right. But you look at what the team was able to accomplish last season, 17 and 10 overall. And obviously that's in circumstances where you don't have a full fall and you guys had a young team, but you're not really able to acclimate the guys in the fall the way you normally are with a program mm. that said and you know one of the things i've wanted to do with all these coaches we've spoken with is talk about some of the big picture things in college tennis i know talking to all of the sec men's coaches who had life a little bit easier than elsewhere in the country last fall no doubt the hidden duels you guys played were very revealing and you know so many coaches speak about well not only did we get the chance to actually see what our lineup would look like we got to see you know how they would compete in that dual match format i'm curious for you again given it was a relatively young team a bunch of you know 
sophomores, freshmen, you're working into your lineup. How beneficial were those hidden duels for your guys? And do you see a world where hidden duels are just the way of the future in the fall? I think they definitely have a place, you know, for sure. Moving forward, um, a lot of other conferences are starting to adopt those as well. Um, but it, I don't think it's the end all be all of it. You know, I mean, we're not going to go all hidden duels. I don't think personally, you know, there's a place I'm, I'm, I'm big into development. I like seeing guys break down barriers. I like seeing guys break down, break down walls, you know, and, you know, it's like with, without tournament play, Jub would have never become Jub. You know, Jub came in was a six, seven guy, and then he ended up going through and he had a few big individual results. Yes, he did well during the season and those are great, but, you know, players need to be able to express themselves and and fight for what's theirs. You know, that's that's a big part of tennis is that's we're an individual sport. You don't get pigeoned into a position or this and that, you know, as a, in a team sport. But the dual match is the unfortunate part about a dual match is that it, it pigeons you into a hole, even though you're great. Right. And so certain guys uh, that could be playing two are stuck at five. And so but it has way more benefits than that one negative. Right. I mean, the dual match is is one of the greatest things about tennis. And I think we all agree with that. But that's why in the fall, it's super important to allow those kids that are coming off great years uh, of, of playing a dual match and letting them experiment and get out there and say, like, look, yeah, OK, so Danny Rodriguez is the number one seed in this tournament. That's fine. And I played seven last year. But guess where I'm going to be playing this year? You know, and they have that ability. And that's that's in our nature as players. You know, and without that, I mean, I'm worried as a coach if I don't see that, right, that need to grow and improve myself, that my need to get better. So so with that, you know, I would say that I'm a huge fan of the individual tournaments and positioning guys in the fall and so on and so forth. But look, we we were we were really lucky. The SEC led the way there last year and, and hats goes off to our conference for allowing us to do that. Uh, they appointed a few people. I was fortunate enough to be on one, on the board there of talking with a lot of the ADs inside the SEC and and really coordinating and and the schedules and coming up with a system that would work and and that they were comfortable with. And so Jenny Maines on the women's side and I got to work with the uh, our liaisons and really hard. We met, you know, it was fifty plus hours. I think we were working, you know, on the outside and and I think it just came up. You know, look, those dual matches or those hidden duels in that season were unique also. And that can't, you know, I can't go without saying that is that everybody was so pent up from being in lockdown that when we came out, I mean, we, we hosted the first one here at South Carolina and we had uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Georgia, right? I mean, you want to talk about a good weekend there. That was, that was a heck of a weekend. And I remember we played Tennessee on day one and the first point in doubles on every single court. I mean, it was like a, a nuke bomb went off. Next <laughs> I mean, these guys were so amped up. It was like finals of SEC type stuff in the first tournament of the fall, right? So like the intensity that was played in those hidden duels, I think was the actual key that we were literally playing dual matches and we were all sizing each other up, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, we were all sizing each other up. Everybody was looking, coaches were talking afterwards. You know, we're like, well, Tennessee's going to be good this year. Yeah, know? that's what every coach has said when I asked them. It's always like, and everyone was like, yeah, Tennessee's going to be really good this year. Yeah, that first moment, I mean, you know, you know, our, our, I, I love those guys, you know, Makai, I mean, I love Woody, I love them all, right? I mean, they're just, their characters, they're, they're just, they're so good for us. And Makai came up after the match and said, look, you know, he goes, he's like, he goes, that, that wasn't very good. And I was like, I was like, dude, you, what are you talking about? Man? Like, you know, I was like, it's first match after, you know, a quarantine. And I was like, you guys are going to be good, man. You know, and, and look, we saw Kentucky without Draxel, but we saw, 
we, you know, we saw a lot of guys. So, so look, what it did is it also gave us a measuring stick of where we were at. And I think that was also a big part of it is that, look, you know, with the intensity that was played is like, here's where we're short boys. Mm-hmm. And if we want to be good, we got to get to here, yeah. you know, fast. And so that led to some unbelievable training and a lot of uh, ownership from the guys. It was, it was, they weren't able to hide behind, oh, I lost to the second seed. My sixth guy lost to a second seed in a national tournament. You know, he can validate that that's a good, that that was an okay match if it was like five yeah. and five, right? No, no, no. You, you, you got your butt kicked by a guy that's going to be playing <laughs> the same position that you're playing in the spring. There's no hiding there. So, you know, I think that was awesome. Yeah, and it, it brings up a larger discussion, and I warned you, I may ask you some questions like these, and again, no softballs here. Welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast, my friend, but you know, it brings up the idea of what is the point of the fall in college tennis, because college tennis, the excitement, the enthusiasm, what separates it from all other aspects of tennis is obviously the team format and the dual match season from January to May, and if the purpose of the fall is to best prepare students to perform in the team dual match season, wouldn't it be more beneficial to scrap some of the individual events and just, you know, again, play as many team hidden duels as possible, maybe then we don't have to hide them anymore if we're just openly saying, hey, let's use the fall to prepare for January, et cetera, or to your point you made earlier, should the fall be about thinking bigger, giving that guy who last year was eight on the roster a shot at the regional against, you know, North Carolina's number one or Clemson's number one, or, you know, even for you guys, schools like Charlotte's number one, who are going to be top 100 players and just giving guys looks at levels outside of where they're normally playing to me, if if you want to do that, then the ultimate move has to be to move the NCAA individual tournament to the fall, because then you have an individual portion in the fall and you have your team portion in the winter. Otherwise, respectfully, like I don't really know what we're doing by playing individuals in the fall. Uh, you know, where are you on that broad topic? That obviously is always one up for discussion in college tennis circles. Yeah, geez. All right, so couple things there you know i mean that was <laughs> there was there were a few questions in there um yeah. all right so so yeah look the fall the fall to me we're, we're individual players and and college tennis is not you know to me it can't just be about the team season there has to be an individual season because for college tennis product to be great players have to continue to get better right throughout sure. the four years so you can follow an individual you can follow a team then you know and and it's almost like the franchise player gets better as he stays longer and so on. But at the same time, right. If so, if he's not developing as an individual and having those events and having to back up what he did in an individual basis, when people are coming after him that are much lesser or lesser ranked or lesser rated players and so on, though, all those pressures are a facet of becoming a great player. And, and if they have aspirations to become a player on tour, which on the men's side, most college athletes still do, even if, and it becomes a little less, uh, or a little more realistic of what they're capable of as they move through the four years. But they, I think that dream, that vision is super important. It's a very important part of the development side. And it also, it, it really makes the game. I mean, you can see that tenacity inside, inside the game. And that's part of that just because I'm driven. I want to be good. So, so with that, yes, the fall is really the only time to, to have those, those opportunities. The kids go out and play in the summer, but you know, they need to have six to seven, eight months of that, in my opinion, in order to, to really develop and continue getting better, which makes the product that much better also. So, so yes, if you're going to say that the the fall is then at that point just needs to be about individuals and maybe we need to move the individual uh, installations to the fall. I don't necessarily think that's wrong by any stretch. I think it's very, very interesting 
Um, my only concern there would be guys coming in and playing the individuals and leaving for the spring. That's one, sure. that's one thing that could happen. Um, you know, how do you qualify for it? Because right now we have 25 dates. The NCAA would probably need to give us more dates or we'd all have to come to the conclusion that we were only gonna use 17 dates or 15 dates in the spring to be able to pack in 10 qualifying dates. Well, now if you're running individual tournaments, my AD is not gonna be thrilled and my academic uh, advisor <laughs> is not gonna be thrilled because individual tournaments take longer than dual matches. And so at that point, now we have big problems with missed class and these kids are basically pseudo professionals through the fall as well. So it, I don't know if that model necessarily fits into the academic world that we're in. Uh, so what we're doing is we're blending, you know, the needs of a player mixed in with what we need as a, as a collegiate, you know, as collegiate tennis format. So, you know, that's why I think people are starting to go, I want two, two hidden duels and we'll do one in the beginning of the spring, beginning, beginning of the fall and at the end of the fall. And then we'll play the all Americans and a few other things in the middle just to, to mix and match and get the best out of both worlds. But like you said, as a college tennis fan, that it just seems it just seems like there's not really a structure to it and people are kind of like well that's what what's the point what's going on is there two seasons are there two seasons uh, you know and and i and i get that so you know the ita is working on it we're having deliberate discussions amongst coaches of what's better what's not better um some coaches are, are saying we need to play the team in the in the fall so in the individuals and, and then put the individual season in the spring because it leads into the summer. So if you're looking at a developmental side of things, that makes complete sense to do it that way. And then it, that also fixes the thing of, well, you get enough data from the fall, from the team stuff in the fall, and then you can go and do this and do this stuff in the spring. So at that point, you know, it does absolutely make sense if you were to be able to switch the seasons, but you know, that's like, you know, moving mountains probably for the NCAA. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. no, it's half the fun. I mean, I had a coach suggest a basketball type calendar where you start, you know, end of October, early November, and you work your way through, you know, March, April, instead of going all the way through May. And, you know, again, you, there is a changing of the season. You go team halfway through, and then you get to the individuals at the end. For me, I just want to find a way to, uh, once again, incorporate that second week of the U.S. Open with college tennis. I just feel like that could be the perfect platform for the sport to shine. And I know they've tried things in the past, the U.S. collegiate event, which, you know, we don't have to relitigate here. Um, But the idea of just playing the NCAA individuals that second week of the U.S. Open will always be one where I just – and you talked about, well, how do we find enough data to make sure people can qualify? And for me, the answer is, well, you have to play the team season before. If you play the team season the spring prior, you can come back and play in the U.S. Open. Now, would athletic departments be like, yeah, I'll sponsor this kid to come back for one more match? That's a logistical issue. No doubt about that. But to right. me, it's just, again – We've both been through that slog. I mean, I did it for the first time last year. You got to do it with Jub, with Daniel. The idea of being in Orlando for three weeks, a month, like thankfully Florida doesn't have any income tax because by the end we're all paying incomes in Florida because we live there. That's a Um, Yeah, Yeah. but it just feels like there has to be a more efficient way of doing that. Yeah, I would agree. You know, look, it's an unbelievable idea. I think tying it in with a professional event – also, it's very important for the kids to be around it to feel like they're they have that, you know that's those are the best players in college and and for them they need to feel like that event is worthwhile. I think uh, for the for the tennis fan it will expose us to you know to the general fan base at a, at a much higher level. Uh, start drawing in more fans, 
you know, that if, if TV is a huge issue for college right now, and that's always a topic of discussion, I mean, you got to expose the product and we have a great product, but if the product is out there and people can see it, then TV is going to go, Hey, we want to do this because people love it. Right. But you know, if we can't get the viewers to come first, we have a problem. And so, yeah, your idea makes complete sense. Now, you know, you're getting into like insulate rules and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) you know, but, but yeah, something along those lines has to be done. Uh, if we really want to make some big moves, because I think we are a sleeping giant for the tennis. People are passionate about tennis, whether it's, you know, 4.0, 5.0 NTRP stuff all the way up to professional tennis. I mean, you know, the college tennis is, is the end game for literally all of the kids that are USTA, except for, you know, the 10th of a percentile, yeah. right. That get to go on and be a pro. So, so for us not to be for this, for our sport, college tennis, not to be, the focus from the USDA, which I think is starting to become a little bit more than doing those partnerships and so on. But at the same time, you know, for the tennis channel and so on, tennis people, kids, they're going to end up playing college tennis, paint that dream, start making college athletes, the, the stars, the role models and so on, and find those kids that are super passionate about college tennis that are currently in there. And then you can start having those role models portrayed, do those life stories and so on. Now you have a brand and, the USTA is now reaping the benefits of having more kids come in and so on, because there, there are people that are out there, you know, it's easy. Everybody wants to play football, play basketball. Why? Because it's on, it's on TV. Everybody watches it on Saturdays. That's the only reason why (laughs) that's it. It it became a business and everybody now, and it's a sustainable business. So I would agree hundred percent with you. You know, we had to make some moves. I think we're just in a tricky part of the year. Yeah. I don't think, you know, you have to, yeah, I think we have to move some serious mountains, you know, and the first one would be moving it, moving the team to a different part of the season, moving into the fall and then having the spring be our guy, you know, be the, uh, be the individuals. So you're the first person to suggest doing it that way uh, in this series thus far. And I'm fascinated by it. And I want to continue to ask you questions about these topics that again, not specifically South Carolina related, but right. We're going to get back to that at the end because I want yeah, to pivot yeah. here. Yeah, i got to talk a little South Carolina tennis with right. you because, uh, you know, again, looking at your team last season, 17-7, and seven, round of 16, you know, looking at it, first 14 matches, and we're talking about, again, the role of the fall here, the way I'll transition is, in your first 14 matches, you drop eight doubles points. Now, the rest of the way, you dropped only two. And I'm curious because doing this exercise, you know, I've talked to or I've seen the stats for so many different teams. And I would say usually it's about eight to 11 doubles teams. That's how many coaches have been playing, you know, throughout the course of a dual match season. You guys played five last season. And I'm curious, was that a byproduct of you just found the teams that worked and you rolled with it? Was it a byproduct of, you know, again, the lack of a formal fall? Just, you know, what that does feel like a relatively low number. And, you know, again, you were willing to hold out and say, we're going to take some lumps early. We're going to find this point by the end of the season. What worked for you guys? What clicked by the end of the year? Yeah, I think that's it is that, you know, we were not willing, you know, as a coach, I've, I've, I've moved, I've mixed, I've mashed, doubles points not not working, panic, blow it up, let's do it over. That looked good, you know, and then all of a sudden two weeks later, it's not looking good anymore. And it and it's just because there's new energy there when you switch teams. But I, I made it a point. It's something I'm trying to get better at as a coach. It was like, I have a plan. I'm going to stick with it. Even when things initially seem a little bit turbulent and they may not be working, let's go in there and let's work. Let's get down to the nuts and bolts of something. And then, and then let's go and make those adjustments 
or or just get better as far as just being a coach and, and players and understanding what they're doing out there. And then let's see if it's broken. If it's and then if it's not working, then then let's then let's blow everything up and panic. And at, at that point, right? so yeah, I mean, I think that was a, a lot of it was that we were like unwilling to bend on some teams that we really believed in, you know. And and the guys had a, a big part of that it was like, look, we can either do this, we can blow it up, and you know, and or or it's like, look, this doesn't have to be a friendship out there. Like we need we need a business relationship out there with between you guys of like this is your role and this is your role and you guys have to be able to hold each other accountable, but you also have to bring yourself on that, on that situation. He, we need to know that you guys are going to work well together. And for you guys to say something along the lines of like, you know, there's always that, you know, somebody's going through a struggle out there and, and one player starts overplaying because of it. And then there's that resentment and tension. It's like, no, 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 let's get you in a room and let's work through this. How are you guys going to go and win? We had those conversations with just double teams last year and we hashed out some of the stuff that was going on between them and so on. And obviously we did a better job of watching film and, and, and I think we just got better at it, you know I mean? But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer now that we're setting in, we're settling into some teams, you know, and I didn't change a lot of teams this fall either. Mm-hmm. We are settling into some squads where it's like, look, this is your partner. Mm-hmm. Make it work. Without giving away the full shop, Give me the Goffy doubles principles. Are you team servant volley? Because I like to ask coaches this nowadays. Traditionally, you know, I had a coach who was an All-American in the late 80s. Obviously, didn't do much good for me. Um, but, you know, he was very much, and you know, he, I can only hear it with the nickname he used to always call me. It was always because back then I had some games, so he called me Frisky, not Grusky. Okay. But Frisky, got a servant volley. He just, Love you know, again, servant volley, servant volley. Yeah. He also once motivated us by saying, you know, there's a kid on our team who did not have the best record. Record. And he came up to us midway through a set and he goes, you know, guys, Shambrom's winning today. Like, do you really want to lose to a team that Shambrom beat? And it was, we actually looked at each other like that. That would be really embarrassing. Like, let's step yeah. it up a little bit. So, right. you know, he was a huge proponent of the servant volley because that's what you did back then. And obviously technology has changed. The game has changed. What are the Goffy doubles principles? Yeah. I mean, look, coming forward is number one. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to, I mean, that's, that's if you can do it well. Now, if you can't do it well, you're, all you're doing is putting yourself in a really bad spot. Right? <laughs> I mean, so, you know, like, for instance, like a job when he was here, uh, you know, he, he used to just tell himself never to go to net because he would felt terrible, at, you know, because it was a part of the game that he just didn't develop. Now he was working on it and he got better at it and he's, you know, and so on. But, and, you know, a guy like Rodriguez that is just dangerous from the back of the court and can just throw darts wherever he wants. I mean, you're, you've got a, you've got an A plus in that area of the court, and you know I'd say he's probably like a B plus right now as far as a volley. He's very good. and He's a heck of an athlete. He's super explosive. So he is a he is a threat at net. But but where is he more dangerous currently? You know, on the doubles court. Now, you know the goal would be obviously to get everybody to be able to play both, right? Because there are certain teams. You know when they're when you have two guys that are staying back and you have a team you know, that, are, that you're playing, you know, a defensive, maybe I've seen Ohio state servants stay back, stay back with both guys. And so on, you get these amazing baseliners and they're like, look, you're just not good enough at net. Sure. Beat my guys from the back. Well, that's a great, I mean, look, that's a good coach. You know, I mean, he's, he's going out there to win that dual match and that's exactly what he's going to go do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what he's doing. So for me, look, I mean, I, I look at everybody in their, in their tool sets. I personally believe, look, you know, hitting your spots, you got to be a great server. I mean, you got to be able to hit your spots and you got to be in the right location. That for me is like primary. If you're not doing that, then, and you're unwilling to do those things, you know, correctly, then you don't have a spot in my doubles lineup. 
You know, that's just the way it is. Taking returns early versus, you know, staying 12 feet back. I mean, Danny likes to go to the fence to return in singles, you know, and he's just like, but coach, I can, I can hit a great free turn from here. And I'm like, yeah, but if you play anybody that's halfway decent in net, you're just setting your partner up to get a ball in his face. Yeah. So, so, you know, he, these guys are having to make adjustments. So principles take the ball early, come forward, but also we're going to, we're going to play you where you're best. Yeah, well, you talk about, again, finding the pairings that have worked and a pairing that clearly worked from start to finish last season was Rodriguez and Thompson. And, you know, obviously last year, Daniel's progression was just such a huge part of the success you guys had across the board, and you look for him again. I think he and Connor go 22-13 and 13 overall, 15-8 in dual matches at that number one doubles spot for Daniel. He goes 18-5. and five at the number one singles position and you know match calculus is something we like to talk about often here on our podcast for you guys particularly at the end of the year doubles one four find one more but to have someone like daniel at the top you know to be able to count on the number one singles position particularly you know again you lose a paul job and yet there's no drop off really at that number one spot yeah. what clicked so well for daniel last year what does his success at the top do for the rest of the team yeah, look, that that was that was uh, pretty remarkable, you know, and 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 he he really blossomed into becoming a an actual player. You know, he was a capable guy prior to that. I think he just started scratching the surface last year of actually becoming a player, understanding who he is, um, what being a good player means day in day out. You know, and he led by he led by his action last year. The guy came came to work. He came to practice every day literally we could count on one hand how many days where he had you know some ups and downs so to speak in in practice or or didn't you know focus wasn't there or whatever literally maybe it was two to three days you know but that that right there I mean if you want to talk about what that did is yes his record the confidence there that Danny can play at that level you know but it was it started in practice you know I was not afraid to use Danny as an example I was not afraid to use Jub as an example of look there's a common denominator going on here right now. It's not that Danny is special or Jub is special. It's that these guys from day one right now, like they do not miss days. They are coming to work every day and they're trying to get better and they know exactly what they're trying to get better at. And they're relentless in pursuing that. So with that, the confidence is built there. Then you just go out and play. So like, you know, we ask our guys, you know, describe Jub when he went out and played ruthless, relentless, plays every point, you know, doesn't let guys breathe you know, the whole deal. Well, I asked the same thing about Danny last year. Well, what, you know, physical doesn't let a guy doesn't take a point off. Doesn't let a guy into the match. Once he's on you, you can't get out of his grips. Well, those are, those are, those are concepts that great players all have. Well, that was basically it right there, but look, yeah, you want to go at that. I mean, Danny, Danny put, put a lot of confidence in our squad last year. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I talked about that calculus. Toby Samuel comes in as a freshman, 27 and seven overall, 19 and four in dual matches. And, you know, again, he ends up, you know, uh, 12 and three at the number two doubles position with Jake Beasley after they go six and four at three. So is that just like a, hey, you know, maybe we're going to make you play better, you know, wake up. Like, here, we're moving you up to two. Here we go. Wake up, guys. But, you know, to get a yeah. freshman contributing like that, did you expect that coming in from Toby? And what clicked so well for him early on? Oof, you, Toby, Toby is a kid, you know, he's, he's one of the best recruits that we've gotten. Most of the guys that we have, you know, we, we get are outside of top hundred. He was, I think a high of 50 something or whatever in ITF, but you know, we saw it when the recruiting process, wow, this kid, this kid is an athlete, you know, he can move, he's got gears, he, he can shift gears in the big moments. He's confident. 
uh, you know, and he, he can hit the ball, you know, he can hit the ball from everywhere and from anywhere, knows the court, knows what he's doing. But, you know, Toby was young. I mean, he came in young. He came in like a job young. So, you know, I mean, look, I mean, that, that plays a large part. So when we get young guys, when we start, we put them down low, like let's learn how to win and let's learn how to win a lot. And he caught a little fire there. It actually started in the last dual match of the fall. He, he, uh, he hurt his wrist, couldn't hit any backhands in the, in the middle of the fall, went out there, played with a hack slice, got a slice better, but, but, but really developed his forehand. I mean, the guy was running from fence to fence, hitting forehands and looked like he was like 1990 Spanish guy out there, you know, just running <laughs> and ripping high, heavy forehands, but it, it, it absolutely got him better and taught him that a different part of the game. And he took that into the spring and then he kind of, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I mean, is it okay? I mean, like, you know, coach, when is this going to end? When is my winning streak going to end? A man ended up just, just mowing people down and he had some ups and downs, but he got tougher and worked through some of those tough spots. Toby Samuel has the ability to be good, good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I say, I don't say that very lightly when I mean good, good, he has the ability to, you know, the ability, not saying that he will, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, but if he can get that workman's mentality, like a Danny and a job have had on a daily, daily basis, watch out. This kid's going to be good. Mm -hmm. it, this is a stupid question. I'm just going to warn you about it right away. But John Beeline, <laughs> former Michigan head coach, Michigan basketball head coach, used to say he liked to recruit players who were, you know, young coming into college, you know, those 17-year-olds or, you know, young 18-year-olds coming in because you get to see that physical growth and there is more upside to tap into and that they're already competing with their best at that age group, uh, you know, that bodes well for them moving forward when they turn 18, 19, 20 is that something you do in your recruiting philosophy? You talk about it with Toby. I mean, obviously, I think Paul came into college. Was he 16 still when he stepped on campus? 17. And so is that yeah. a thing? Like, again, I know stupid question, but is that a thing? It's not a stupid question. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a great question. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're starting to get into it. Yeah, I mean, we we have we have a, a model that we go after, man. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm not sure I do well with, uh, you know, with a guy that's eight, eight in the world coming in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we... We, we do things kind of, we, we get guys to, to work, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't do well with prima donna kids. So yeah, I mean, I, I like, I like guys that I like, I really like guys that are, that are undeveloped, but have the potential to become great physically, you know, but they have the, they have the intangibles of what an athlete, they, they move smoothly on the court. They kind of float on top of the court. They don't have to be strong looking or anything like that. I mean, I like, I like that, but that has a huge upside as far as development goes and like, you know, and, and, you know, you look at mom, you look at dad and you see kind of what they can become and so on. But, but also at the same time, you know, that when they start walking around, the confidence comes around when they start becoming a, you know, a little bit bigger, like I am a stud and I can play, you know, it's a, that's a dangerous combination. So yeah, we look for, you know, we, we, we kind of, yeah, we filter those guys out a little bit. Yeah, no, I, in that, you know, within that spirit, you missed out on the perfect recruit to add to your 2013 class. October 95, <laughs> I was young. I wasn't 18 till I was a freshman, and, you know, and you missed. That was a I missed. Off. No, the thing yeah. is, you would have looked at the parents and you'd be like, there's no athletic upside here. And that would have been the <laughs> correct assessment, by the way. Uh, but, uh, big you know, so when you again talking about the development you want to see from your guys and I'm just reading the numbers here you know 9 and 13 at two singles 15 and 10 at three singles 11 and 11 at five 11 and 10 at six that's fine you know it's it's it, it's obviously there leaves room for improvement there and I'm curious you know across the board whether it was you know Jake Beasley or Tom Brown Philip Jordan all of these different guys who took Connor Thompson lumps throughout the course of the year 
what did you see from them that, you know, eventually by the time you reach the NCAA tournament, I will never forget that 4-3 match against Texas where you guys take the doubles and it looks like, you know, again, there was a 30-minute stretch there where you guys were in control of the match. And so, you know, yeah. you can you can say comfortably, we had Texas on the brink. Now, everyone had Texas on the brink. That was half the fun of their season. But you guys were right there towards the end of the year. What progression did you see from, again, the nucleus of that team that despite some of the early lumps, they continued to get better? They were young. They were young yeah. at the start of the year. You know, I mean— they didn't know how good they were going to be. I sat in that room, you know, in our meeting room and, and told them, like, this is a good squad. We need to start believing it. I don't ever tell anybody something that they are not, right? And, like, and and that was it's just over and over. And you would see these kids, like, starting to get squirmy in their chair, like, you know, like, God, you know, that's just pressure. I don't I don't know if we're good. I, I think we're okay, but I don't know. You know, they needed to start believing it. And, then, you know, and, and that started coming. I mean, but you got to earn it. You got to earn those matches. You got to earn the right to feel like you're good. And once you feel like you're good, man, it's like, watch out, you know, because, because our team is good. You know, that team last year was very good. And I don't think that we even realized what we could have, but but to come from where we were to where we ended up, that's, that's a heck of a job. You know, those guys did an amazing job, you know, of going there because there was not a lot of belief early on and they ended up walking off that Texas match pissed off i mean they walked out of there going danny rodriguez up three love in the third on spaziri up three love in matches yeah that 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 match doesn't get lost very many times Mm -hmm. you know like that match is that match is in the pocket and we're out the door 4-0 every single day of the week except for that day you're right well spaziri did an unbelievable job there um coming back you know danny got a danny had a four he his left forearm started cramping up and couldn't hit backhands <clears throat> that's a gigantic problem for Danny, but this backhand. Can be <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I think that it was, look, we, we had a lot of growth. Thomas Brown jumping into that six spot and being a stud down there. I mean, you know, that was, that's a beast mode performance there at the end of the year for that kid, you know, and he's one of my favorite all time student athletes ever been able, be able to be around. Uh, TB did a heck of a job, but look, there's a lot of growth and Connor Thompson, you know, bless his heart, my man, that guy, you know, he, he's a stud of studs. The guy had to play a, a two spot when I needed, you know, for his growth, he probably needed to play four, you know, he didn't get that four spot that he was, that he was plugged into the year that, you know, in 2020, when the, when the season got cut, that was his year to grow and kind of the Toby Samuel progression, right. Of, of locking into the four, winning a ton and then, and then really becoming a heck of a two, you know what I mean? He missed that. That was unfair to him because it was unfair to a lot of people. So, but you know, we knew that he was going to step into that two spot last year, and and I'd say he did a heck of a job at two, taking down Henning and a few other key guys during the year. You know, he beat Sam Riffis. You know, I mean, the guy can play, flat out play. Now, is it consistent? It wasn't last year, but you know, he's put in some good work this fall, and that's a, that's a, he's a, he's a big point for us. If he can continue to bring you know the progression that he's putting out there, he's going to be a good spot for us there too. Yeah. And, you know, again, looking at your team now here in 2022, and I will never forget uh, because we got to spend some time together last year in Orlando. And you looked at me at one point and you go, Alex, I have a very good team coming back here in 2022. And obviously you've now got the chance to work with them this fall. I'm curious, A, how let's just start here. How nice has it been for you guys as a coaching staff to just have a normal fall once again? And I'm curious, you know, again, with all the vaccinations and everything, how your team is feeling from a comfort standpoint. Have you guys gotten a grip on what the reality is now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it felt like 
felt like old news, man. We were back here. We had everybody back. We had we we added one player. Um, oh, we'll know. talk about James. We'll get there. All right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been it's been unbelievable, you know. But you know, with school added back in, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I was speaking about it in the, the ITA podcast the other day, man. It's like I messed up this fall. I'm going to be really honest. We we trained like animals, and um, I listened to your podcast with. Uh, with with clancy the other day with clancy shields from arizona great job that was that was awesome by you and awesome by him but look you know he said something it was very similar to us you know i think we we have a very kind of similar program he does a, you know i like the way he runs his team and um i like the way those goes guys fight with intensity and so on i love it um he said something in that podcast and it's exactly i was like oh that's what we that's what we were doing this fall it's like look you know we we had we have to raise our level as far as the skill and so on. And, and that was our goal, you know, it was like, look, to, to be able to go in there and close the door there on Texas every day of the week, like, you know, we gotta be able to, we gotta be able to finish a net better. We gotta be able to be a little bit more aggressive on first balls. You know, we are tough, man. I mean, it's what we do. We are tough. You know, we make you play. We, I mean, we, we play every single point. Those are, those are great things, but we gotta become better as far as being able to finish in the big moments. And that's what Texas did extremely well in that moment. So that we spent an entire fall working on those things. Right, being the aggressor in the big side, big time. So, like him, uh, results necessarily when you add new tools into things. You know, look, man, falls. You know, this is the time to develop, and so results will struggle a little bit when somebody gets a shiny new toy and they don't really know where it fits inside their their arsenal. You know, so so you know, a lot of it was taking some lumps early on, but I like the way we finished. I really do. The guys guys felt organized. The guys felt confident and. We're having a good little stretch here in the offseason here with guys running out and playing some tournaments, getting some good results. So, yeah, we're, we're feeling pretty good here. Yeah, and obviously a new guy you do bring in is James Story over from Memphis. And, you know, again, other than that, everyone else is back pretty much. You oh. lose TB, and but the rest of the team here returning – how has that continuity, and it's interesting you bring up Arizona, and by the way, thank you for the compliments. Always always like hearing an interview I conducted quoted back to myself. That's always a nice little ego boost, <laughs> not that I needed it. Um, but, you know, that Arizona team, they had Tennessee 4-3 last year as well. They were right on the brink at, in that NCAA round of 16, and you look for them. You know, they were able to get, you know, wins over SC, wins over UCLA the same way you guys were able to beat Georgia a couple of times and be right on the brink. Uh, that said— you know, again, you talked about the hunger. Florida and Tennessee bring everyone back. But, like, outside of that, you know, we the debate we were supposed to do on our number 10 show was that one of us was going to argue for Kentucky, one was going to argue for Georgia, one was going to argue for South Carolina. But it's just like none of us wanted to do all that work. So it's like, ah, let's just go with one <laughs> team. Uh, right. but, yeah. but, you know, again, all that is to say you guys are right there. You know it. Do the guys know it? And, what ha- you know, has this fall been about getting them to believe? Or do they already? Yeah, it's they know it. But yeah. look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. You know, we're sitting. If if you take all the any sort of data and whatever, I mean, we're we're sitting at five in the SEC right now. Sure. Let's call it. Let's call it what it is, man. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna pump anything up that, that isn't what it is. Now, a lot of things will shake out during the season, and any one of those teams, and and even even teams that are that are probably a little bit lower, you know, according to whatever UTRs or the way teams finished or whatever. Look, I mean, they, they can even come up and finish one. You know, a season is a season with injuries and health and confidence and so on, and the pressures of having to redo, you know, re, you know, kind of redo the season that you just had and so on. Look, like I said, we we're keeping our head down. We're going to play quality tennis. You know, that's what we're going to do. It's going to be quality hard nosed tennis, and that you know, we're going to bring that and focus. 
worse than that. And, and going back all the way to the very first part of the interview is look, I mean, they, this team's job is to consolidate last year. Like that's what we're doing. And, and then, but we're not going to just go, Oh guys, we did it. We, you know, we're back to the sweet 16 or we're, you know, we're, you know, whatever. No, no, no. Like at that point, like we're going to keep eating. So, you know, it's uh Florida scary. Yeah. And I think, I think that, and I'm going to be really honest, I'll throw it out here right now. I think that with blaze leaving, it actually makes it, it, it gets them, it gives them just that, that little bit of angst that they need to back up such a stellar year where they're, where they're going to be a little bit hungry to prove that they can go out there and, and, and do some damage again. And in Tennessee, I mean, geez, you know, we'll see, you know, they, they, they do a great job. I can't say good enough things about, them. but, but again, this is a different year and, and sports is sports. And that's why we all, that's why we're all in it is, is, it's it's annual and, and everybody starts from zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. you don't have to. As you say, you don't have to comment on this. There's a real world where the NCAA singles champion starts out at three singles for Florida. Like there is a serious world where it goes <laughs> Shelton Valle Riffis or Valle Shelton Riffis. And yeah. I mean, if I'm if I'm Brian, I'm just rotating cast the entire. I'm seeing what I can get away with. I'll just be like, you know, we're gonna play uh, Abdullah at one today because you know why not? Let's just see what we can do. And um, why not? Why not? yeah, exactly. That speaks to the depth right now and the yeah. talent in college tennis. Again, you've been in it since the. I, I, I want to say you were at Clemson for '98 Stanford when they have the Bryans and Goldstein and Alex Kim's playing five singles, and he's actually Absolutely. someone who drops one of their matches. You know, I think objectively that's probably the best men's college tennis team of all time. But you look elsewhere across the board. I just feel like the depth has never been as good as it's been right now. And I know we've got five classes of graduated high schools yeah. or seniors, and that's why partially the reason, but. Has the depth improved? Has what it takes to succeed at the college uh, top of college tennis gotten more, you know, increased during your time in the sport? Absolutely. Uh, that, that's that's a hundred percent due to the, it's a it's kind of the trickle down effect, right? It's like at, at the top of the professional sport, those guys didn't leave. They're not leaving for like twenty years now, right? Whereas before it was like ten years. So it's like a revolving door every ten years. Well, now it's twenty years. So what happens with these kids that are trying to get into the pro ranks? Well, they don't have anywhere to go. So guess where they're going? They're going to college now, whereas a lot of those kids in Europe or wherever in South America were turning pro. So, so now these kids are all coming to college. I think the depth, I mean, you want to talk about the top of college tennis? I think it's been there, but you know, the amount of guys that are that good at the top of college tennis right now is, is extraordinary. And, and I think that, you know, it's because of that reason is that there's just a lot more, you know, and it's becoming a really viable option because, you know, grinding it out and winning $382, you know, a week <laughs> out there is not appealing to anybody because those points don't get you anything anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the depth out there was so strong. So yeah, it's, it's, it's look like people are saying, Oh, Danny, Danny made finals job made job one. It look those like, we, we tell those guys very, very straightforward. Like you were one of 10 to 15, maybe guys in the country that, that could have been there. I mean, there's 20 guys that are, that are really good. And on any given day, I mean, that's a one week tournament at the end of a, at the end of a year. It, it's not like it's, oh, that guy's the best or that guy's this. It's on that week. These guys were good. You know, I mean, there's there's 20 plus guys that are very, very good. And you're seeing what's happening out there in, on the, the futures and challengers tour. These guys are moving through them quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, so, yeah. again, the, yeah, the, the talent, it, it really is. It's so much fun. And, yeah, it's like nowadays everyone's got an aragoni Weir's home combo at 5-6. It's just like, yeah, that's what it takes to succeed. And, obviously, you look for your team this year. Uh, I don't think the full schedule is out quite yet. But I know kickoff weekend, you guys have Duke coming to town, Liberty coming to town, LSU coming to town. So yeah. you also have Chris Hallioris coming to town. You can lock that in right now. But, yes. uh, you know, I'm curious for you. Obviously, new facilities at South yeah. Carolina opening up. Uh, what's it mean to you guys to get to host one of these regionals? And again, as you look at the schedule, what's the outlook for you guys this year? Yeah, look, man, it's that's that's kind of the you know if finishing well definitely gives you a head start in the next year. It's just the way the college tennis format's done. So I mean, that's been something that we've been preaching and talking about over and over for for years. Is you know going and beating somebody even if they're on a down year, going and beating somebody in their house that's tough, you know, and getting into indoors, getting those three to four free matches. Is, is a huge bonus uh, into the season and, and getting your team prepared for the rest of the year. So, you know, hosting is, is huge. And we, we've been after it for a long time and we're finally able to do it. Um, so in last year, we thought we were going to be able to, then they dropped it down to the eight teams and so on. But it is what it is, you know, but look, we're, we're happy to be able to do it uh, and, and super stoked, but we got some good teams that are, that are also very, very excited to come and play us. You know, I've been getting some text messages from some of them. I like, can't wait to see you in, in January. <laughs> you know, we're really looking forward to playing and so on. So, um, yeah, look, man, I mean, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a, a heck of a year in the sense that, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. There are so many good teams out there. And, you know, to, something that I wanted to share is like, look, the, you know, last year, I'm going to, you know, you weren't necessarily a believer of the SEC, you know, and, and it was like, you know, SEC bump and all that kind of stuff. And look, in, in reality, you know, you're right. But, but from last year, I would say, you know, the SEC was the best. And the reason that they were the best and the, and the results don't deny is just because that we played more. That's it. And so you, with those circumstances, yes. Now on paper, if you were to put everybody at the beginning of the season and see the way things should roll out, I would say that, no, that's not the way it should be, right? The, the results were a little skewed there, but the results were skewed because they, we played more. And I think that's just a, puts a little bit of emphasis on, look, it's important that kids go out and go out and compete and they play and they continue to, to develop, right? I mean, you saw, it's tough, man. I mean, but this year, look, going back to the point is that this year, it's anybody's ball game. I think that there are a few big time contenders out there, big time. I mean, their teams got better from last year and they were already the best. Right. And it's going to be tough to, to bring those guys down. But at the same time, look, it's anybody's ball game. I'm very interested just as a as a fan of college tennis, but also just a coach that's trying to learn all the time. And I'm interested to see how the pack's going to do. I'm really interested to see how the, the Big Ten's going to do. You know, it's like those guys are coming and they're hunting. You know, I mean, they're coming with with a chip on their shoulder to prove that last year was a fluke. And 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 look to their to, to further their points. And, and I'm a true believer, like those are were good teams that didn't get to realize how good they were, you know, now we, we were, you know, we'll, we'll see where we stack up. I think we're good, but at the same time, I'm very interested just as a college tennis fan and a coach and a sports fan of like, all right, let's see how this plays out this year, because, you know, we could be really good, 
or we could be in the middle of the pack and just go, oh, that was fun last year. <laughs> well, let me just clarify. I was not anti-SEC. I'm anti-Chris Halioris, and he's pro-SEC <laughs> enough for all right. of us. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah very, you know, true. very true. It's a balancing act uh, here editorially. But, um, no, I, you're, I mean, look at the NCAA round of 16. Look at the quarterfinals. Look at all of the SEC success across the board. And, you know, for me, one of the matches I'll always remember, and I think it's the most pro-tennis college tennis match I've ever seen was Blumberg Jub National Indoors 2020, where they were just slugging right. away. And it was just like, yep, first first serve, first forehand. That's that's the routine. That's like the rhythm. You have to have that or you're losing this point. And, yep. you know, I, I do think more broadly, and we've alluded to it here, just some fun questions for you down the home stretch. Um, college is a pathway to the pros. You've talked about development so frequently here in this interview. Is you know, but again, it's it's the point one percent of college tennis players that end up actually doing anything in the pros, and yet you can point to recent examples. Obviously, what Nori's done this season has set the standard for mm-hmm. what is possible in this modern era. And you know, whether it's the Kopfers of the world, or honestly, you can look at a guy like Nuno Borges, who's had a ton of success at the challenger level already early on. Obviously, Paul's having a ton of success as well. Yeah. Is college tennis still, I mean, is it a viable pathway to the pros? Just simple as that. It is. It is. I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any way to to deny that anymore. You know, it was back in the day and then guys started turning pro, you know, back in the eighties, I think most everybody went to college because the money wasn't good enough and so on. But then money started becoming more and more uh, available out there on tour. So, and so players just started shifting there. And now the shift is coming back for the reasons I already stated in this interview. You know, and and so, you know, I I hope it stays that way because, look, I mean, this is this is a very formative time for, you know, in kids lives. They're they're getting out of the house for the first time. They they they're pseudo adults, you know, in the sense that, like, they 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 get to act, walk, talk like and make their own decisions. But it's all in a very, you know, constricted and, and and sort of scheduled out environment for them. Right. So, like, you know, they're there's they're kind of still in a, in a bubble wrapped situation, but they're, they get to kind of explore a little bit and and also, you know, develop the values that they're going to carry for the rest of their life. You're not out there out of their house. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of kids that go out and, and they're on tour and I and I was on tour for a little bit. It is such a secluded uh individual environment that you're out there that you know you do a lot of soul searching out there but at the same time you know some people choose to and and others you know just they don't really develop as a person well i mean this is an unbelievable place to be able to develop as as a person develop your game uh during that time where your body's changing you're you're deciding on who you're going to be as an adult and who you want to be for the rest of your life and so on in a very formative environment with people that care about you you know that are doing the same things you know if if I don't, you know, I don't, if I'm a parent, it's like my kid's going and my kid has number one in the country has aspirations to go be a pro, you know, look at Nakashima, best player and best junior in the world. Like that, that would be a stop in. I'm going to go to school for a year and I'm going to go be by myself for a year and become a pseudo adult. That absolutely is playing a part in his success. You know, it's absolutely playing a part in his success. So, you know, yes, even if it's for one year. Now, most kids, most kids that are not Brandon Nakashima need to come in you know, and, and be here for four years and that's okay. Why? Because, you know, the depth in the game is, is extremely deep right now on the pro level. So getting out of here when you're 21, 22, it's not a big deal. Like it used to be. Mm-hmm. So this is, I'm not, it's not a plug to come to college. That's just an honest belief. And it's just, you know, like I was saying, I'm anxious to see how the season's going to turn out. I constantly am looking at how guys are turning out 
what the, yeah. what's coming out of college and so on. And, and the data's there, man. It's, yeah. it's the right move for most of them. I agree. I'm, the thing that makes me most sad about the past era is that we didn't get a season of Tommy Pollitt, Georgia, because he would have been such a good Georgia Bulldog. Um, and it just would have been really fun for college tennis fans. But obviously, I completely agree with you. And with that thought in mind, last serious question before we get funky, eight-hour rule, 25 dates. Obviously, there are academic pressures. They're student-athletes, and they're just human beings. You don't want to make their life tennis. But with the college as a pathway to the pros thought in mind, is that enough? Like, or, or is it time to re-examine those numbers as well? I'd love to get those numbers re-examined. I mean, you know, at 25 dates is not enough. Where you know, college coaches have to get, you know, get get creative with double headers and so on to get the matches these kids need. I mean, there's a match count that kids need in order to develop. You know, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's it's. It, I think there's been a lot of studies on it, and it's hard to get that in college. But you know, I think the we we can get there. Uh, it's just difficult. They can make it a lot easier on us to do the things that I think we're already doing, uh, okay. to be totally honest. So, um, you know, it, it, I, I would I would hope that at some point I don't have any faith in it. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. But I hope at some point they would ask the student athletes uh, what they would want and give a little more flexibility for each each team to to make kind of what they want. You know, that would be great. But unfortunately, we have a blanket rule. And there's a lot more teams out there than, than say, some of the power fives. I just hate that there are times when kids are like, can I get coaching? And you have to say no. And it's like, that yeah. is so dumb. Like, that is yeah. counterproductive. And obviously, there would be an abuse if it's like, well, it's voluntary. Obviously, some coaches right. would, would try to bend those rules. But I just think it's – like, if Paul Jubb or Daniel Rodriguez or, honestly, any of the players, Toby Samuel, if TB yeah. wants to come up and if he right. just says, coach, can you work with me? You should never have to say no. That's right. I mean, I think that would be the right thing to be able to do. Now, how do you how do you code that as a you know or decipher that compliance, as a, as a yeah. compliance guy, you know? But at the same time, there are teams where kids are like, "This isn't enough, man." You know, so so yes. I mean, I think you can you can spin it and put it in a perspective for the kid of like, "Look, this is your time, and this is actually where you can go get actually really good." And here's why, right? Because I'm not in your ear all day, and because that has a negative. That there's a negative to that, right? It's like, well, if I'm your voice the entire time, the brain shuts off and and you just do. Right. Well, they got to start thinking so it becomes their own. So, you know, there are ways as a coach you can really get that. And, and I actually believe that is that's real. Now, that motivation, this is not time off. You know, yeah. our guys are down there practicing right now, you know. Okay. And so it, it is that's just what, you, you know, you still in the culture. If you if if a coach can instill the right culture, the players can thrive in it. Yes, it can become a pathway. Now, if they if people just take time off from November 5th through January 15th, you got a big problem. You know, yeah. that's not going to work. You know, it's not going to work yeah. to become a pro. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, with that in mind, let's talk about some other things that will not help yeah. people become a pro, but certainly college tennis fans might enjoy. I'm going to start with this one. I think the coin toss, wasted time. You may have heard me say it before, but my suggestion, let's get rid of the coin toss, head coaches, start of each match, one point, drop and hit, winner picks the serving arrangements on every court. Are let's you go. in favor of that? You're, you've got to go. be in. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, let, you know, let's go. Who's going to serve? And then let's get after it. If I'm returning, I'm, I'm probably going to lose that point most of the time. But if I'm serving, I feel, like I feel no, good. Drop and hit. Neutral feed. That's oh, drop hit. Drop okay. Hit. No one right. off the feed. Who can chip and charge and get to the net first? Because none of you are making passing shots at this point. Let's be honest. <laughs> Nobody's getting low for anything. Yeah. yeah exactly. I just want to see Tucker versus Woodruff. That's all this is about. Like just setting up that point because. As long as I can, as long as I can be courtside, I'm in too. Like I want to be there. I want to be there for that. Well, winner will play you guys in the NCAA championship. There's your answer. Um, okay. But yeah, I'm in on that. 
incorporating a timeout because I just think there are moments in a match where you can just tell it's getting away from a team or, you know, whatever it may be. One point during every match, you can just say, hey, we're taking our three-minute timeout. You stop all the matches on every court. You can bring the guys in, chat with them, send them all back out. Would you be in favor of incorporating it? Wow. I mean, that that is awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I mean, as, as, as far as just like a coach that, you know, that enjoys the sport, I mean, look, man, I mean, that – how fun is that? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm in. How fun is that? I don't know. I mean, but I'm also like, on one hand, I'm a tennis purist. Like, so like, you know, I believe like the goal ultimately is to let these guys do it all on their own. But at the same time, you know, it, it's part of, we, we have the greatest learning tool in the history of tennis. It's like, we get to be on the court with the guys and teach them exactly. in, in the actual sport, in the pressure moments. So in that moment, you're like, dude, T, T, let's go. Everybody in. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, look, everybody needs to bring it down or everybody needs to get, this is what's happening in the match. It's hard to do that on six courts, mm-hmm. you know? It's like to have one message. I think I think the matches will be better over a longer period of time. I don't think teams will go away, you know, exactly. like, and, and it won't be a lot of four levels. I think it'll, it's, it'll be tough to put teams away. And so maybe, maybe it would, you know, for college tennis sake, maybe it would be better. Yeah, that's, again, for entertainment purposes. I think it's always fun for fans on site to see that meeting in between singles and doubles, or at least for the nerds like me. I, I so definitively remember 20, I want to say 14, Michigan took the doubles point from Ohio State, and we had no business taking the doubles point at home. And when I say Ty reamed his guys out, oh, it was delightful. And then, like, they beat us 4-1 so quickly. (laughs) Uh, It was was bad. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm in favor of that. I also think there's something to – because I think the doubles point is just the best 40 minutes in tennis, period. I don't care. Wimbledon final, whatever, you name it. It's just – it's so exciting. You've got three courts in front of you. Every point really does matter, particularly in the Russian roulette format that is one set, no add. That said, there's that lull between doubles and singles. And, you know, the smart coaches give uh, fans pizza, and it's like, okay, that kind of fills the lull. But then the next 35 minutes, next really hour, doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, you get to the end of the first sets, but you still got another set to go. And so to me, I think there's something to a simultaneous start of getting singles and doubles going at the same time. And whether that means, you know, you have to play one doubles team in four singles matches or whatever that may look like, just ensuring that you don't lose all of the momentum built by doubles. Now, it would suck to be down to one doubles point, and I have a more extreme version that involves substitutions that we don't have to get to, but we can. Um, but I just, do you feel that as well, that, that lull in between doubles and singles? And is that something you yeah. worry about ever? Yeah, there's absolutely that lull, and it's not it's it's not even between. It's the it's the lull of the first set. I mean, it's yeah. like you go from this this hundred meter dash sprint where everybody's getting all juiced up for it, and it, and it climaxes, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, now we're starting a marathon. Well, that's not fun, you know. That's <laughs> exactly. not fun to watch. And absolutely, that 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 is an issue, right? I mean, the great parts about the match are are at like the 35, 40 minute mark when sets are being consolidated or not, and then and then the kickoff of the second. All right, the match is really starting here, right? And then, and then everything kind of moves there from that point on. And it's every court starts having action on it. That's, that's really the great part of the dual match. That's that section. Well, to, I, I'm not in favor of doing simultaneous <laughs> at all, but what I am in favor of is, is playing singles first and then, and then having doubles at the end, right? Because the shotgun at the end is still a shotgun. I mean, it's going to go off. And, and so that's the greatest 45 minutes of the college dual match. Well, why not play it at the end? Mm-hmm. Right. Where, so then you, you retain fans. If, if fans want to trickle in in the first hour of singles, 
And during that low, fine, let them, let them come in during, during the most exciting part of the match where people are closing out first sets and then things are starting to happen. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you get your five minute break and you can be down, you know, three, two or whatever in the match. And it's, or, you know, or it's, it's could be three all, or it could be whatever. And it's like, we're, we're about to rock and roll here in a shotgun 30 minute, 18 to 35 minute section. That's going to decide the match here. And you can make those, you know, I don't know. I mean, I haven't given it much thought, but uh, as far as, making each one of those count as one point and just going yeah there it is that's what i was gonna say is you probably have to make them all individual points right so that if it's four two it's like well it still matters that's right that's right and then at that point i mean you want to talk about the most exciting part of college yeah. that's it right and and people will it's a it, it's a build throughout the entire match and it climaxes at the very end every single time that is a good sporting event yeah. right so if we're looking at it strictly just from like a a, a product-based view here that would be my vote as far as a product. Now, now as a purist and a developmental guy, the only way you get around that is do that in the fall. Do whatever you want in the fall. You know what I mean? Like do that in a separate season and then have all of that stuff happen, you know, all your development and going into individual stuff into the spring. Yeah. It makes sense. You can do whatever you want. You want to you put it into a, 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 an hour and a half segment? Do it. Don't care. You know, no. don't care. I love it. I love the the creative thinking. I also just for me, if you're going to do simultaneous start, you do two doubles, three singles flights. Everything's worth one. But then after the doubles is done, those doubles players can be substituted into singles. So it's like we're working substitutions. Coaches have to work that much more. Oh. Again, everyone gets a little bit of repetition. There's also an idea. Who was it that suggested it? That you can only play doubles. I forget what the exact idea was. I got to go through the film I, again. I've, I've got a lot of ideas thrown at me. It's just the human yeah. dartboard. Um, but the idea of like again, you got to be more specific with your doubles pairing. So there's only oh, there's that's what it was. Four singles, one doubles. You can play. You can only though play. So like NCAA tournament starts around of sixteen. You can only play a doubles pairing once during that tournament. So you can play, let's say, you know, Lambling and Samuel round of sixteen, but then you're saving rodriguez and whomever for the final and it's not playing them together until that final and like wow. that again it, there are ways to get creative and i think it's interesting to say do it all in the fall focus on the development in the spring make the fall about the commercial product make the spring that's right. about development that's right that, that's an interesting philosophy now i can't imagine again making any sort of change in the ita not the easiest thing in the world and so but i i do love the thinking there i will also ask and again I said no more serious questions last, I suppose, too serious. And then, and then I promise I'm letting you go because I've kept you way over time here, double the asked amount. You and I, um, you and I are just having a conversation. This is fun. Yeah, this is delightful. Yeah. This, is, this has been the best part of this year. You should have heard Coach Ojeda over at Tennessee. Oh, yeah. She was like, she was pushing me. She, I was like, Coach, that's a little bit too much. And she's like, no, we can keep pushing the boundaries further. And I was I like, it. all right, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, but, she's awesome. Yeah, um, but NIL recruiting. And I'm curious just again – the buy-in from so many different campuses and I, I think you know campuses that are surrounded in college towns and it's just you know for me obviously the idea of Ann Arbor where the school is just so for, you know ingrained into the fiber of the city and just you know mm -hmm. you think of a town like Waco where you know Baylor is Waco or Lubbock yeah. where Texas Tech is Lubbock and just schools like that that are so well positioned to benefit from this at the same time it's still tennis it's not football it's not basketball but how does NIL impact your recruiting moving forward do you think it impacts recruiting in college tennis uh it, it'll 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 play out here in yeah, the next sure. year year and a half yeah you know it's uh Look, I think a lot about stuff, you know, off away from away from work, how to get better. But this, I'm telling you right now, like this is this is a topic 
that I haven't even delved into. I, I just, it's something that I think is great for the student athletes, but at the same time can be a massive distraction before, you know, before they deserve really any payout. You know, it's like, it's, there's, look, it's, when you talk, when you want to talk about an 18 to 22 year old kid, giving them stuff prior to them earning it, really earning it. And, and what I mean by that is really becoming a, you know, the rewards in sports are for working through levels and getting to the top of the game, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just the way it is, right? And, and so why do certain people, when they get a contract, never have any results after that? Mm-hmm. Well, they've, they've now received what they want. Yeah. They wanted and their whole motivation behind what, why they're doing what they're doing. I want to get out of where I came from and get into so-and-so. Well, this NIL thing, I mean, it's like, look, not to get really, really too deep into it. I, I, am walking cautiously around it and not giving it a ton of attention right now. I'm waiting for other people to make some moves and learn from them, learn what they did well and, and learn from their mistakes as well before we start getting into it as a pro. I see a lot of issues, but I also see a lot of, a lot of good things with it. And I'm just trying to see where everything shakes out before I make a move. That's just me being brutally honest. I wish I had a better answer for you, but yeah. I'm taking a backseat on that one and watching from afar. Well, it's so hard because the rules are so different by every day, like any given state, like in Ohio, and you can do what you want. Like coaches can openly talk about, hey, this is what we do. And credit to the state of Ohio for being on top of it and being like, let's rock and roll. Let's get our athletes in a position to succeed. In Florida, if you bring it up as a coach, you're pretty much, you know, put on the cross. And it's just like, yeah, this isn't going to work. You're not allowed to do that. And so it is, it is very, you know, in international players, they've got to donate to charity. That's sure that sounds great on paper that's really stupid like that's really really dumb and so it's tough again i'm trying to see any coaches read and i think that's been the consensus is there is no read on it because of all of the confusion that said something i've also offered every coach the opportunity to do and i want to give it to you here now and i promise this is the penultimate question but give me the recruiting pitch i am that perspective and i mean i fit the profile (laughs) 17 years old here coming into college i've got a lot of development in front of me haven't seen the squat rack in my life um but make me the pitch why should i come to carolina why should i become a gamecock Oh my goodness. So you want me to, you want to spill everything that, that, that separates it. When I get inside a, when I get inside of a living room, that is, that is where, that is where we shine. I know? asked so, Bruce Burke to send me the PowerPoint presentations he gives to kids. Cause I'm like, I know you do it, Bruce. And he's like, no, nah, I can't give you that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, we don't do any PowerPoints. Uh, you know, we definitely have a few things that we get after. Um, and we, we definitely pitch a little differently than most. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that, but I'm, you know, and that's why I'm going to be a little bit reserved on giving you something here, but Please. Yeah. You know, we, no, I get we, it. we definitely pitch a little different and, and we talk a little differently and, and uh, you know, but we, we use our, we use our development and, 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 and so on, you know, maybe some of the accolades to, to, to really get after it, but we're recruiting a specific type of kid and we speak to that kid. That's, that's what we're doing. We're not speaking to just everybody trying to throw a wide net. We're looking for specific guys and, and, and sometimes my message will scare off the guys, will scare off some people. And you know what? That's okay. That that's, we're scaring off the right guys, <laughs> and we're trying to bring in the bring in the ones that'll work here. So, um, you know, sorry, I won't answer that. But you know, and a little bit of a boring answer there. But that's just the that's that's part of what we do. It's fair. I'm going to use that then to pivot. Does the transfer portal factor into your recruiting now? Because I know it's more extreme in these next three years than it will be after the COVID kids are gone. But do you think about things like that? Absolutely. I mean, that's another, that's an entire market. That's a, that's a, that's a whole nother battlefield that you're in right there. And it's uh, and we're all navigating it for the first time here, but absolutely. 
Are you kidding me? It's there's benefits to it and there's some negatives. You know, the fifth year kid, I'm gonna let you know right now that's that that you need a special fifth year kid to be able to make things work because the moment that kid gets goes into some stuff, some tough stuff during the season, maybe he doesn't get off to the right start or so on. What is going what what is he what is hooked into that kid to really go, I'm gonna do it for this squad. These are my boys, these are my brothers, this is the coach that's been mentoring me. You know, he's got no attachment there, you know, and he's trying to gas, gather all that. But in reality, like if, if when when it hits the fan, man, like where, where, where's that kid going to go? So there's some benefits. I mean, there's a lot of talent sitting in that portal, a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, coaches are starting to realize, hey, you know, it might not be as good as I maybe initially thought it was, you know, on paper. That UTR looks real good, but this is the way it ended up, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but that portal's another hunting ground. There's no doubt. I mean, yeah. it's, it's everywhere. And as a recruiter, you're starting to get – you have to get way more into it and it's a constant journey. It's a constant talk with your assistants. And, and I mean, it's just, it's nonstop. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, with that in mind, last one, I'm going to say this lovingly. Nuno owned Paul before that NCAA final. So going into that final, is it just like, Paul, I'm not coaching you. Talk to our assistant. Paul, I have no thoughts on this match. It's all you, buddy. What clicked? What gets him over the finish line? Again, what does that title do for your team? Yeah, man. Look, that that was that was the mindset was dialed in going into that. <laughs> it was dialed in, and the reason for it is that Jubby knew that he could beat Nuno because he had match points here at our place. Yeah, you know, he had a short forehand at, at seven six on the breaker in the third mm-hmm. to to beat Nuno. You know, and ended up losing. I think what was that eight six or a nine seven in the breaker there. And and uh, and and look, you know, losing to somebody three times or two times, three times, whatever it was prior to that, it's hard to beat a player like Jubby three or four times in a row, especially, you know, he's, he's a bright guy on the court. You know, he, he dials in, he knows where you good. We watched every film that we could on Nuno prior to that. And we knew exactly what needed to happen in that match. And he rehearsed that in his, in his head, you know, I don't know how many times prior to that match, you know, I asked him if he wanted to go hit some balls. He said, no, 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 I'm watching film, you know, and he was sitting in, you know, sitting in his room and, and kind of getting after it. And, and look, Nuno is to me, one of my favorite players, college players ever. The guy was so workman, and he got so much better over there at Mississippi State during his time. I mean, I, I recruited him a little bit over there in Europe with Matt, and, you know, he was he he, had, he was a little bit of a hothead. I mean, the guy was so dialed in and so cool and calm on the court, but I knew that was in there, and we knew that was in there, and we just got it. We had to get to it. Now, Nuno had made semis twice, right? Yeah. Prior to that, well, it was Nuno's year to win. Mm-hmm. He didn't job three times. Those are negatives. Yeah. There's a lot of expectation in his mind and everybody else's mind. And that's the way it's going to go. Jubby was having a breakout year mm-hmm. and his expectations were, I'm happy to be here, but I'm going to go win this thing. And it's hard to beat me three times in a row. And I know that. So once, once we knew that was there, that's all that Jubby was searching for on the court was I need to get a, get in there with Nuno and I need to start feeling that angst and that, that temper and all that stuff starting to flare up. And once it's there, I'm going to really bring it. But if you watch the match, that's exactly what he did with his energy. He kept it cool. And then when he started feeling Nuno get a little antsy over there and, and feeling like the match was slipping away, Jubby amped it up a little bit and ran with it. Now, is what it did for the program, it did a lot. It put us on the map, one. Um, but, you know, in the recruiting pitch, yes, okay. What I'm telling you is that it, what it did for my program is it proved to my guys that it's doable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the banister four-minute mile right there. Yeah. You know, and, and there's there's that – there's that ability of, well, if Jubby can do it, then I can do it, yeah. you know? And so fast forward two years and you got Danny, yeah. you know, and, and who knows what's going to come after this, but it's a, it's a real capable thing. Our guys are all going, I mean, 
that used to be unreachable. Well, now it's now it's just what we do. Yeah. The problem is Sarah Hamner is going to set all the South Carolina records and just set you all to shame over on the men's side. I have no doubt in that whatsoever. She is, <laughs> she is a stud. And oh, my God. It took two seconds of watching on the broadcast to be like, oh, man, she can play. She can um, play. She can play yeah. but, but, but here, that's, that's king. You know, or she's a queen. You know I mean? Yeah. That, is, that is a different level of I'm here and I'm here for a big reason. Yeah, I love it. Well, I kept you far over time. And honestly, I've still got a list of questions to hit you with next time, but we'll hold those off. And now I just can reserve the right to bring you back on the show. But coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you for tolerating all of our nonsense as well. Hope you and the guys stay safe, stay healthy, and obviously wishing you a ton of success in 2022. Thanks, my man. Appreciate it. Have fun. Of course. Take care, coach. All right, later. Bye.